Welcome to the teaching ministry of Christ Church of the Valley, featuring lead pastor Kevin Carlson. Today, we invite you to open your heart and your mind to what God is saying to you through His Word. We're glad you decided to listen in with us. Here now is Pastor Kevin. Those of you that bought cars, remember your first car you ever bought? Uh, my, my first car I ever bought was a 1974 Dodge Dart. I worked all summer as a janitor for Motorola in Arizona, saved up a bunch of cash, and I went shopping for a car. And this baby had the two-door kind of scooped back, you know, with a big old honking engine. Vrooms. I made a good lot of noise when you, when you got in there, low to the ground. It was a cool-looking car. So I go and, and test drive it. And I notice while I'm driving the car down the street that I changed lanes, which is not unusual, right? But I didn't move the steering wheel while I did that. But man, the engine, vroom, vroom, it sounded really cool. So I thought, you know, we can work out the details later, right? So I go back to the lady and say, I'll take it. This is an awesome car. I love it. Vroom, I love this car, you know? Uh, and she goes, well, how, how much are you offering? Well, you want $12.95 for it, right? I'll pay $12.95. That sounds good. She goes, oh, I didn't think I'd get that much for it. First mistake, buying your first car, right? You don't know the haggling kind of thing. Second mistake is if you notice something in the test drive that's off, it's not going to get better magically over time. It's going to get worse. So it turns out the front end of this thing was totally shot. The reason I was changing lanes is the car would just go wherever it wanted, regardless of what you're doing with the steering wheel. Uh, and so I had to put hundreds of dollars into this car that I already overpaid for in order to make it work. When a car is not in alignment, you know, it's very dangerous because you're trying to go this way and you end up that way. You end up places you never intended to go and you don't go the places you intend to go. So if you want to fix that, you got to get the car in alignment. So you're aiming the direction you want to go and you get there consistently. Churches can get out of alignment too where they don't go where they intend to go or they end up places they never intended to end up because they're sort of drifting along out of alignment here. Everyone knows that when you have a team of any kind that this is bad, right? You got some people going this way and some people going this way and that's going to cause problems, right? If, you're, if you got two ox that you're hooking up to a plow and one's pulling this way and one pulling that way, that plow is not going anywhere, right? So we know that's bad. But there's another subtle dynamic that's actually worse. That's when one is going this way and the other one is going that way. Sort of generally in the same direction, but just a little bit out of alignment. And over time, of course, we end up real cockeyed there. What makes this one so dangerous is it can look like, okay, we're going in generally the same direction, so that's way better than this, and so I'll settle for this. But when we're out of alignment with each other in terms of our, our purpose and our strategy, we end up going places we don't want to go, or worse, we end up going nowhere. We're talking about how simple is better than complicated, both in our lives and in our church. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about having clarity about what it is God wants you to do and having a sense of movement spiritually from going from place to place. And today, we're talking about alignment, making sure we're all on the same page, heading in the same direction, knowing what it is that God wants of us, and as a church, all heading in the same direction as we fulfill our purpose. We're looking at the early days of the church and the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2, where we see how they worked in those first days. Because the, the assumption here is that the church was closest to Jesus' intent the closer you get in time to Jesus. Human things over time get out of alignment and they drift. 
And you end up very far eventually from where you started off to be. So you want to find out what the original intent was? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. And in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 44, we get a glimpse of what everyday life was like in the very first church and the sense of alignment that they had with each other. So open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2. Uh, you can use uh, the Bible app on your phone called Version. Download that. You can use the events uh, portion of it to get the slides that we're using. They take notes, share it with friends. Uh, you also can use it to sign up for the daily Bible reading plan that I've picked out to go with each message series. We're halfway through the one by John Maxwell on leadership. It's an excellent reading plan, uh, and it pushes it to your phone every day, just a couple minutes every day of Bible reading. You can do that. So sign up and get going on that here. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 44. It says, all the believers met together. We're going to see this word over and over again. In one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's look at the power of alignment as it's sort of revealed in this passage and see what it can tell us about being in alignment with each other. Uh, the first thing alignment does is it creates great effectiveness. Effectiveness. It says that those in need were taken care of. See, in the early church, they didn't look to the government to take care of people. They didn't look uh, to strangers to take care of people. They would take care of each other. And so if one a uh, person had a need, another person had uh, excess, they would share it in order to, to meet the needs here. They, they cared for each other. There's 52 times the Bible talks about each other or one another, and these guys lived this out in their everyday lives. And so needs were being met here in the church way better than they were in the rest of society. They were incredibly effective. And the key to that is the fact that they took responsibility for doing it upon themselves. When I was younger... You know, the first house I owned, I uh, didn't have much of a yard, but what yard I did have, I would go out there with my mower, you know, and mow it every week and, and trim it and all that kind of stuff, uh, mainly because I was uh, too poor to hire out a landscaper or something like that. But as I went on in life and made more money and that kind of stuff, that's one of the things I wanted to, to hire out right away because no one likes mowing the yard in Arizona in July. It's just, it's just hot no matter what. So you hire it out. And, and then if you, uh, you know, do better in life, maybe house cleaning is something you hire out. And so you try to find things that you can hire out to a professional and let them do it so you can move on to other things. Well, that works pretty well in life, but it doesn't work very well when it comes to the one another's. And that's one of the mistakes the early church made. They started off with this caring for each other kind of model, but then they started hiring it out. As the church got more organized and institutionalized, you started having priests uh, versus lay people, and then the idea was we're going to hire out this caring to a professional. There'll be a professional caregiver. And so it's no longer my responsibility to care for, the, for someone else in the church. I'm going to hire it out to the pro until eventually the idea was only the priest uh, could do certain things in the church, and as a lay person, you couldn't do anything. You weren't not just discouraged, you weren't allowed because it was just the job of the professional uh, to do these things. When a church hires out the things that the church should be doing for each other to professional staff or clergy or anybody else, uh, we lose effectiveness. I remember uh, one of the churches I served, my very first church I served as, as the uh, pastor after graduating from Bible college, little church in Boise, 
And uh, I'm showing up there and, and wanting to get this church energized and going. And I remember one of our board meetings early on, about, I don't know, six months into the, the, the deal or so, uh, and uh, the honeymoon blush of having a new pastor was wearing off. And some of the members uh, weren't happy with, with me. And I'm saying, all right, what am, I, what am I not doing that you want me to do? What, I'm young, you know, I was only 25. What is it you're looking for if you're not happy here? And one lady said, well, at First Church down the street, it was literally called First Church, uh, their pastor, what he does is he goes calling. And so every family in the church, he goes from house to house and he shows up for tea or for coffee or for dinner and he visits with them and he goes to their family reunions and prays over the dinner and shows up at the kids' soccer games and is just sort of, you know, just sort of shows up and cares for the people. He's their, he's their shepherd. And that word appears in the Bible, right? Shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, Right? And so that's what we want you to do is we want you to go calling and make sure that everybody in the church and all our members are visited all the time by the pastor. And you haven't been doing that. In fact, you've been out visiting, but you're out visiting non-Christians and visitors to our church, not the members of our church. And we think you got that backwards. You should be visiting us, not them, because we're the members and they're not. Uh, we, we put the ties in that pay for this place and they don't. So you need to be serving our needs instead of their needs. Do you, do you see the difference we're getting here? We're out of alignment. I had one idea of, of how you care for each other on the one hand and what the pastor's job description best is on the other, whereas that person I was talking to on the board had a different idea of how the church cares for each other. You have the pastor do it and what the pastor's job is to care for the members. We were out of alignment with each other. Now, nobody in that church I served would have said, would have disagreed with this statement we're here to seek and save the lost. They go, sure, of course we do. Every, you know, all churches should be seeking and saving the lost. But of course, you're going to do that in the context of taking care of our members. You know, after that's done, then you can do this other stuff if you want. We're out of alignment with each other. And, and it caused a lack of effectiveness in that church. That church didn't last very long. After I moved on, uh, it only lasted a few years and, and went out of business after a while, because uh, there was just not basic agreement in that church of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So when there's alignment, you have effectiveness. When there's not alignment, you don't. Secondly, encouragement. Encouragement. It says, with great joy and generosity of heart. That's how they lived. They had a lot of joy there. When a church is in alignment, when everybody's on the same page, you have a happy church. It's not characterized by, by fighting, by gossip, by backbiting, by or any of that kind of stuff. I like, what, I like what Rick Warren says. He says, when you're rowing the boat, you're not rocking the boat. You know, when, you're, when, you're, when you got an oar in your hand and you're helping the boat get to its destination, you're not rocking the boat. Usually you're either rocking or rowing, but not both. Uh, and when you're out of an alignment, when you're out of alignment, the church encouragement is, is, is one of the things that suffer. You don't have joy. Instead, you're, you're not on the same page, and so your expectations aren't being met, and so you're unhappy, and, and, and the church is not characterized by joy. It's characterized by fighting or by gossip or any of those kinds of things here. The church should be the most joy-filled organization of, on the planet. should be the happiest place on earth, not Disneyland, but your local church. And sometimes churches are the happiest place on earth, but sometimes they're not. And one of the things that keeps them from having that sense of encouragement that comes from joy is a lack of alignment. We think, well, we might have the same kind of purpose in mind, but when it comes to how to fulfill that purpose, we're out of alignment. Or, or you think we're going this way and I think we should go this way, so we're out of alignment. And so we're not, we're not joyful together, we're not encouraged by each other, we're sort of discouraged. Uh, and so that's one of the first uh, casualties of that. So 
Alignment brings encouragement. It brings sufficient resources. It says with great joy and generosity. They shared their resources with the church and with each other because they knew what it was they were doing and how it was they're gonna get there. See, no church, no matter how large, and the first church was very large. The very first church here was a mega church. Uh, Bible experts think over 100,000 people attended that church in Jerusalem. Uh, it had 3,000 converts on its very first day. It was never a small church. It was always a very large church. And so they had a lot of resources as a very, very large church. But no church can do any, everything, no matter how large they might be. There's just simply not enough resources to do everything you can imagine or think of. But a church that's in alignment about what they will and will not do has plenty of resources to get everything God has called them to do. One thing about CCV here that I noticed very early on, this is the most generous church I have ever served by a long shot, not even close. Uh, it's not the richest church I ever served in terms of total budget. I've served larger churches with much larger budgets. But in terms of the generosity of the people, what we call the per capita giving in pastor speak, is way higher here than in any church I've ever served. The people here, you here at CCV, are very generous people. But even we can't do everything that we could think of. Uh, when a church is in alignment, we've got, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And we're going to fully pour our resources, not just money, but time and people and volunteers and space in the bulletin and space on the calendar and room usage and all that kind of stuff. We're going to pour into these areas here so they all have sufficient resources rather than taking what resources we have and spreading them out as far as possible so that everything feels sort of starved all the time. Not enough people, not enough money, not enough room in the bulletin, not enough announcements, not enough, not enough, not enough. Uh, so a church that's in alignment has sufficient resources because you're putting what you got into just a few areas here. That's one of the things uh, that I've been working on with our elders since I've gotten here is how to redeploy our budget uh, from being really spread out to more concentrated. When I, when I first got here, we had eight full-time staff members as a church. And for a church of 250, uh, that's about three times higher than you would typically have. And that leaves uh, all our other ministries very starved. And so as we've been going along here, we've been trying to redeploy some of these resources so that we could pour more into fewer areas and, and do sort of a better job at the few things we're doing rather than spreading things out as widely as possible. So you have sufficient resources when you're in alignment. When you're not, you don't. You never have enough. Fourth thing about being in alignment is a force multiplier. A force multiplier is something that takes what you got and makes it more effective. It takes what you're already doing and makes it better. And, and alignment is a massive force multiplier. Look at the end here. The very last thing uh, uh, Luke says about this early church here. It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship. You know how you know when a church is in alignment? The baptistry is wet. Every day, it says, not just on their big days or once in a while, every day they were adding to those who were being saved. It was incredibly effective at reaching their community. That's how that church became so large. That's how they had 3,000 converts on their very first day because there was no question in their minds about what they were doing and how they were doing it. A church that's out of alignment has a hard time evangelistically. I remember one of the churches I served before uh, got out of alignment. And, I, and this is when I knew we were, we were out of alignment, is our, uh, our women's ministry at this particular church had sort of a different idea of what our church should be like. Our church was sort of a casual, 
you know, shorts and flip-flops kind of church where people wore and did modern music that was pretty loud and, and uh, all this kind of stuff. It was just different than the church I grew up in or the church some of our members grew up in. And so how some of our women's ministry responded to that is they tried to create sort of a counterculture. So we might use a modern translation on Sunday morning, but we'll use the King James in our women's ministry. We might dress casually on Sunday morning, but we're gonna dress up in our women's ministry and on down it went. We sort of had this little counterculture here in this one particular ministry. And here's where, here's where I knew we were in trouble. So I, I, I pop in, I pop it into stuff that we do. So I popped in one day and, I'm, and I'm, uh, there's a small group here of, of women talking and uh, because this ministry was out of alignment, there were quite a few of the women that had stopped going to our church. They wouldn't attend on Sunday morning, but they would come to our women's events, that kind of thing. And so there's a small group and there's some new ladies there. And there was the ones I was sort of glad, I was glad to see them. I want to see movement, right? So there's people that have been doing nothing in our church and now they're going to a, a small group experience. So I'm seeing some spiritual movement. I'm happy about that. So I listen in for a minute to the small group experience and uh, the new lady, they're going around the table and, uh, to, uh, and the, the leader asked them to say their name, uh, where they're from originally and how long they've been going to the church. Real simple, right? So they're going around there and it came to one of these ladies that had left the church mad. And she says, well, my name is so-and-so and I'm from somewhere and I don't go here anymore. And the new lady, well, why not? Let me tell you why not. Boom, wrong version of the Bible, wrong type of music, wrong, wrong, wrong. And I thought, well, we're dead with that lady. Her spiritual progress has now gone into the pit. We're not going anywhere, you know? Instead of this event being spiritual movement, it's spiritual death. Oh, you don't go here? Maybe I shouldn't go here either, you know? Or let's argue about why you're right and I'm wrong or I'm right and you're wrong. And it's like, we're off track here. Uh, when a church is out of alignment, it's not very effective. Instead of a false multiplier, it's a forced divider. Everything you do becomes less effective because we're not on the same page. But when we are, everything that we do helps the overall mission and vision of the church uh, get fulfilled there. So how do you get in alignment? How do you make sure your church is in alignment? And how do you make sure you're in alignment with God? Because as important as it is for us to be in alignment with each other, we gotta be in alignment with Jesus. And what does Jesus want? Am I in alignment with him and his vision and his purpose for myself and for my church here? Well, the first step is to have the same purpose. It says, those who are being saved were added to their number each and every day. They had a clear sense of what the bottom line was. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what we're gonna do. And that early church was focused like a laser on reaching first their city, Jerusalem, then their region, Judea, then the neighboring areas, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts details, is that story of how that laser-like focus on their mission of seeking and saving the lost caused a worldwide movement to explode in one generation. And it's all because of alignment. Everybody in that organization understood the bottom line is that those who are being saved are added to our number each and every day. And if that's not happening, we got a problem because we're not fulfilling our mission. It doesn't matter what other cool things are happening here in Jerusalem. What other things are happening? If, if that's not happening, then we're dead because that's our key core kind of deal here. No one argues uh, with the church about the idea of reaching out but you can tell more about a church by what it does than by what it says. Does it really believe in reaching out to its community? Or is it doing the things that are centered on making sure that people are coming to Jesus all the time? Or is that not really happening? Is it just a lip service kind of thing or a slogan on the website? There was a, a thing I saw in the news last week 
the New York City Council has decided in its wisdom to ban plastic grocery bags. So it is now illegal in the city of New York to have class plastic grocery bags. You have to have a, a, a little like paper bag or a canvas bag that you buy and you take that and you bring it back every time so, it's, so you're not wasting anything, not recycling anything. And, and uh, someone was asking the councilman who proposed this, who got this uh, rammed through here, said, really, is this gonna make that big a difference? I mean, it's a lot of inconvenience for people and is it really gonna matter that much at the end of the day, make a dent in the plastic consumption of the world, this kind of stuff? And he says, well, that's not really the point. The point is to make government as annoying as possible to get you to do what we want. It's like the mask slipped for a moment there. It's like, you're not supposed to say that. You can think that, but you're not supposed to say that. But suddenly it's like every interaction you have with the government from the IRS to the DMV suddenly makes sense. Now try, trying to be as annoying as possible. Mission accomplished. There you go. Well, in the church, we don't want the mask to slip. When we're saying we're about seeking and saving the lost, but the mask slips and you say, well, it's really not about that. It's not about those outside the church. It's about those inside the church. You see, it's very natural for organizations to serve their members. I've got here in the, my, my wallet here, there you go, Costco. I am a member of Costco. If you don't have one of these cards, you cannot go there to buy four gallons of mayonnaise. You gotta have one of these babies, you know? I've got another card in here. It's a MasterCard. You know what their slogan is? Membership has its privileges. You buy this baby, you have this baby, and you get all sorts of bennies and perks. That's the way the world works. If I'm a member of the Elks, the Elks exist to benefit me. I can buy cheap booze at the club now because I'm a member of this organization. And so what happens is we get sort of a worldly idea of, of the church. The church must be like every other organization in the world that exists to serve its members. And so we exist to serve our members too. Now, I was so lucky to have a pastor growing up when I was in high school. He used to pound this message home all the time to us. He would say, the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the sake of those not yet in it. Did you catch that? The church is the only organization in the world that exists for the sake of those not yet in it. That means I am structured I function, I have everything going on here for the sake of seeking and saving the lost because that's what Jesus came to do. He said, Jesus, why are you here? What's your purpose? Well, I came to seek and save the lost. So if we wanna be like Jesus and everyone agrees that Christians should be like Jesus, then that which is most important to him needs to be most important with us. In fact, we cannot be like Jesus, cannot, if the thing that is most important to him is not happening in our lives. If everything else about Jesus, his character, his compassion, we got that, but the big enchilada, his purpose, the main thing that was most important to him, that's missing from our lives and from our church, eh, we have failed in Christ-likeness. We cannot be like Jesus if we're not seeking and saving the lost. And so we gotta have that same sense of purpose that we exist to fulfill the purpose of Jesus, which is to reach people far from God and to bring them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the church is all about. When you're out of alignment, you don't have that same sense of purpose. It's like, well, sure, we'll seek and save the lost, but it's just assumed that we're gonna do that in the context of taking care of our members first and foremost. And that's sort of an extra added bonus. It's like the icing on the cake. Man, if you could have a wet baptistry on top of, you know, the stuff you're supposed to do in the church, that's great. But a lot of times you don't have that icing, but the cake is still good. 
Uh, because when we don't have a, a biblically ordained purpose, we got to create something to take its place. And usually that inward focus is what takes its place rather than an outward focus, which is why the vast majority of churches in North America are plateaued or declining. Because the vast majority of churches exist to serve themselves rather than to serve their community. Have the same purpose if you want to be in alignment. Secondly, have the same strategy. Did you see there's a strategy in this passage here? You might not have caught it. It says they met at the temple and they met in homes. That was their strategy right there. The program of the church. What, what did they do? What was their activity? What was their calendar like? Well, here was their calendar. The whole enchilada, everybody got together at the temple, the biggest building in town for public worship. The apostles would teach, they would worship together, they would go to the temple courts and do that. And then they'd go to homes, somebody's house, groups of six or eight, because homes were small back then. So just a few people gathered together around someone's table, having dinner together and celebrating communion there in the home. They didn't do it in the temple courts, they did it in the homes, around the tables there. That was it. That's all they did. Temple courts, house to house. A simple strategy. Hear the gospel in the temple court. Live out the one another's in the home. Evangelism, discipleship. Pastoral care, outreach. All covered in that simple strategy. Temple courts, house to house. But then we think we can do better than what the Bible says and we end up with this really complicated strategy. Yeah, we'll meet in the temple courts and yeah, we'll meet from house to house and all these other things we'll throw in there well because that early church, we can do it better than them. They might've had 3,000 converts on one day, but I think we can improve on the formula. So let's add a whole host of programs and ministries and activities beyond what they did in their early church and then we wonder why we are not as effective as they are in the early church because we don't embrace the strategy that they had as well as the purpose that they had. A simple church is aligned around the same strategy for making disciples rather than a collection of competing strategies and programs. And we've talked about this every week in this series here at CCV. There are five things. This is our process for making disciples to give God the first day of the week in regular worship attendance. That's our temple courts for encouragement and, 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 and Bible study and, and, and worship. And then they give them the, the, the first part of my day as I read the Bible for myself, not just the preacher reading it to me, but I read the Bible on my own each and every day. And then the first portion of my income is I give back to God a portion of what he's given to me. And then my first friendships. My most intimate friendships are not with people outside the church, but my Christian brothers and sisters inside the church. And they be part of a, a small group. So small groups are designed to do or make those intimate first friendships. And then the first part of my calendar, the first part of my time is given to God as I serve other people in a ministry team. I do those five things. I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus. And then I turn around and I share all that with my friends and neighbors so that they can start it. And it's an ever-ending kind of cycle there. That's the strategy that we do. It's simple. It's clear. It creates spiritual movement. But for it to work, you have to be aligned around it. There's a thing called ministry silos that church growth guys talk about all time. A ministry silo is where you have different kind of activities and ministries in the church that are sort of their own thing. You got the men's ministry over here that has its own sort of mission and strategy and purpose. And you got the youth ministry over here that does its sort of own thing. And then the children's ministry does stuff radically different than the youth ministry does. And the women's ministry is over here and the small group ministry here and the singles ministry here and the on and on ministry. And each one has its own kind of mission and vision and strategy and, and you align around that. And the idea is you sort of jump into one of these silos like a grain silo, right? 
It's, it's its own self-contained little mini church inside the church, and I'll, I'll be in there. And if you don't like this strategy, well, just go over here to this ministry that has a competing strategy, and if you don't like that one, then just go over here, and there's bound to be something for everybody in one of these kind of silos here. And the problem is you're taking your church and just chopping it up. And you wonder how come the resources of the whole organization are coming to bear. Well, because it's broken up into all these little silos with competing strategies at the temple in homes. That's as simple as it was. Show up. That's the next step in getting in alignment is to show up, to participate. So they met together. They worshiped together. I love this quote from Woody Allen. He said, 80% of success is showing up. You know, if, if you're not in the game, you're not going to score. If you're not on the field, you, you can't win. If you give up before you even start, there, there's no way to make progress. And so spiritually, people get out of alignment with God because they, they fail to show up. They're not in the game. They don't let God be the first thing in their lives, and, and so he doesn't show up in their lives, and so they're ineffective spiritually. You can't finish what you don't start. You can't succeed if you don't even try. Most people are failing spiritually because they don't try to succeed. They don't even show up. See, showing up is more than just having your body in the building. It's getting on the same page. It's embracing together our mission and vision and strategy and say, I'm going to show up for that. I'm not, I'm not just going to sit back passively and let somebody else talk about mission and vision. Yeah, they can, they can do that, and I'll just do my own thing sort of over here. They didn't do that in the early church. They were characterized by together. They practiced unity, not uniformity. See, the difference is in uniformity, everybody is the same. And most churches in America have uniformity, but not unity. They, they look the same. They're from the same socioeconomic background, the same ethnic background, same, same. They call it the homogeneity principle. Most churches are homogenous. Blacks go to black churches, Hispanics go to Hispanic churches, white go to white churches, rich go to rich churches, poor go to poor churches. And, and so we, we have unity, I mean, uniformity, everybody's the same, but there's not unity. Don't have the same purpose, don't have the same strategy, and it's the exact opposite. God wants us to have unity around our mission and purpose and strategy, but we don't have to have uniformity. We can be very different from one another, different backgrounds, make different amounts of money, different careers, different ethnic backgrounds, different church backgrounds. That's what God envisions, a church characterized by unity, not uniformity. Philippians 2.2 talks about this. It says, Paul saying to the church at Philippi, make me truly happy. This is how you can make me happy as your apostle and church planner. You want to make me happy? This is how you do it. By agreeing wholeheartedly. You show up. Not just eh, apathetically or uh, resistingly but wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Purpose, what we're doing, mind, how we're gonna do it. They were all on the same page there. They showed up and embraced it together. They didn't just tolerate it. They didn't resist it. They embraced it so they could get it done. They had a shared uh, strategy. They had a shared purpose, a shared sense of resource. They, they're on the same page. They had alignment they showed up. And the last thing is to do your part. So they shared everything they had. They shared their meals. They shared resources, shared purpose, shared strategy. You know, you got to move for to have alignment. It's, it's not your church. So I'll talk to somebody and, oh, you're the pastor of a CCV. Yeah, I like your church. No, that, that's not alignment. It's not even, I like our church. 
because it doesn't really belong to us. It's Jesus' body, not my body. It's the body of Christ. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta embrace my church because the Holy Spirit lives in me. It's, it's my church. It's Jesus' vision. It's Jesus' mission. It's my vision. It's my mission. You see, I can resist, I can tolerate, or I can embrace. Alignment happens when we embrace rather than simply tolerating or resisting. Can anyone tell me the state motto of California as a newbie to the state? The state motto. It's on the flag. No, good try. Someone said it. it it's one word. It's a Greek word. Eureka! The 49ers, you're looking for gold. And when you find gold, you're supposed to say, Eureka! You know what that means? I have found it. I have found it. It's the state motto of California, way better than the state motto of Arizona. Yeah, but it's a dry heat. Not a good motto, I don't think. California, way better. Eureka, I have found it. It goes back to this ancient Greek guy who figured something out one day. He had this vexing problem and he couldn't figure it out. And the, and the, the legend is he's sitting in his bathtub when he, when he stumbles upon the answer to this problem and he jumps up all naked saying, Eureka, I have found it. I figured it out. That's a great motto. Well, there's a eureka moment that comes when you talk about alignment. And that's, it's this, that our church isn't for everyone. What? Our church isn't for everybody? You just talked about reaching the community and added every day those who are being saved and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and how can we not be for everybody then? Because if you've got a purpose, if you've got a strategy, if you're saying yes to this, you're saying no to this over here. If I'm gonna embrace this way of fulfilling my mission, that means I'm not gonna do this way of embracing my mission. And, and, and if there are people that are saying, you know what, I, I, the church is fine, but if you would just do this instead of this or have this strategy instead of this strategy or this purpose instead of this purpose, then it would be for me. And that's where you just gotta say, you know what, our church isn't for everybody. There's probably a church in town that embraces that strategy or that embraces that purpose or that you'd be in better alignment with. But if this is not something you can get behind, then this is probably just not the church for you. Eureka, I found it. To have a mission and a purpose and a vision means I say yes to this while saying no to everything else. Are you in alignment with what God wants for your life? Are these five things I've laid out, things that are you're doing, or are these things that you're stumbling over? Or are they missing from your life? As a church, do you understand what it is we're trying to do? and how it is we're trying to do it, our strategy and our purpose, what our mission statement is, more than just words on a wall as you enter the auditorium, but words we live by and we strategize by. Have you had that eureka moment? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Christ Church of the Valley, which meets every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. at 13701 West Stockdale Highway in Bakersfield, California. For more information, visit our website at ccvbak.com.